0: action yep right now <laughs> the mic's on the, the engineers are going oh no he's talking over it uh, and that's because at first they said this is not talking health this is true wealth so they actually oh, promote show. the wrong show
1: <laughs> let's well, talk about your financial health how live about that
0: radio yeah you know we can talk, talk financial we're gonna health. talk financial health today we're gonna have a little uh fun in the conversation today is you know so much is going on uh, State of the Union is finally going to happen, apparently.
1: Whoop,
0: whoop. <laughs> woot, woot. Woot, and, woot. And followed by what I will call Government Shutdown 2.0.
1: Huh. Go. I'm
0: convinced. I, I'm taking bets on it. What's the over-under on whether or not we shut the government down again on February 15th?
1: I don't even... You know, nobody wins on that one. <laughs> like, I mean, it's... it's You know, if they shut down, all the employees lose. Like, I mean, I guess if they don't, then everybody goes back to work, so it, it's okay. So, I mean, here's the but... losing
0: part. Like, did... I guess the contractors lost because if you didn't do the job you were contracted for, then you'd get paid for it. But everybody else, uh, you know, like they said, oh, TSA agents are coming to work and they're not getting paid. It's like they got paid. I mean, all the back pay shows up.
1: Yeah, like I mean, nobody works for free, and they're not expecting you to work right. I mean, for uh, free. people it's still just... got and
0: in fact, a lot of people that were furloughed they got their back pay even if they weren't at work. Right. So it's like, hey, paid vacation. Awesome. Yeah. So I don't know that it was really the end of the earth. Uh, I mean, it was inconvenient. And for folks that are paycheck to paycheck, I mean, there's there's two things that happen with paycheck to paycheck, uh, especially in a lot of the government positions. Uh, There are entry-level government positions. And paycheck to paycheck, because things are tight where somebody lives, is real. But uh, so often, paycheck to paycheck is also about the decisions that you make it's not just about the money that you earn right and so it's very difficult for me as a financial professional to give somebody a pass and just say well I just you know I just don't make enough to do anything but spend as much as I earn every month okay so if you ever get a raise then what happens well then I still spend as much as I make every month and you know okay Uh, it's, it's a hard argument because in many respects we've seen almost zero inflation and in our economy we've seen it in certain areas you know you know some areas in the food markets have gone up fuel, yeah like the gallon of milk <laughs> right <laughs> but Mil- you're right the gallon is yeah. more expensive but gas is cheaper right true housing uh was going up but it's not right now it's
1: softened a little bit yeah. yes
0: it's definitely softened and so there there are cycles to things but uh behavior you know invariably i go okay if you're living paycheck to paycheck Show me your budget.
1: And it doesn't matter your income if you're not on a budget. If you don't know where your money's going.
0: And you, yep. Then right? it's gonna guess, it's show gonna, me your budget, and you're like, "What budget?" And I go,
1: "Aha, a-ha. oh, I miss <laughs>
0: aha."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're doing. You got to, you got to envision the finger wigging too. You know, like it's the finger going at the same time. You can't say that without the finger. Why is it you point your finger up and kind of wiggle? I don't it?
0: know, but it's <laughs> just like uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. we totally get that. But it, it's yeah. So I mean, there are people out there making two to five hundred thousand dollars a year, and you think for some people that's a lot of money. Well, for just about anyone, anyway, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. And yet they're broke. Like yes. they're I mean, they have no money left over in their checking account. They're bouncing checks, which you think, wow, how how are they doing that? Because their lifestyle matches their income, right? right. They just spend more.
0: Well and that's the amazing so, so now I've had conversations with other financial pros and what I find fascinating is it seems to me like there is very little lifestyle difference between a family earning sixty thousand a year and a family earning one hundred twenty thousand a year.
1: Yeah, there's not much. Like you wouldn't know. You look at this
0: and go, "That is ridiculous." They are making double the money. Their lifestyle should be way easier. But it doesn't easier.
1: appear different.
0: It, well, and that's at like all. it doesn't translate because what ends up happening is you lose all the supplements for everything via you know all your health care supplements, tax uh, deductions, you know any of those things, and so the the adjustment in your quality of life is relatively small.
1: You had a threshold. We've talked about this before. What is the threshold that you kind of have to get above to used, really so notice 10, the difference?
0: You know, 10, 12 years ago, <laughs> it was hitting that 100000 mark was a big deal. Yeah,
1: but it's moved up some.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and I don't know what it exactly is, but I think it's around 150000 uh,
1: yeah. as a
0: family income. And that's a pretty high Bar to achieve, especially in Douglas County.
1: And how? In what ways do you notice it? Like, what ways is it publicly visible? Like, oh, they're making a little bit more.
0: It's. I don't know that it's ever publicly visible unless that's your behavior. People again increase their lifestyle and start driving, you know, fancier cars and stuff, and then lo and behold, they don't have discretionary income again because they spent it all on lifestyle upgrades or right?
1: their house is a little bigger, or they right. live in that neighborhood.
0: So there's there can be some of those things, but you know, mostly what happens is if you are savvy about it then you're able to you know you've you have uh you're able to take a vacation and be a little bit more exotic you go from camping to hotels right true you go from driving somewhere to flying somewhere true you can invest a little bit more you Maybe, buy the 6
1: dollar burger yeah you
0: buy the 6 dollar <laughs> burger you
1: don't right? get the dollar meal at McDonald's you go for the 6 dollar burger well
0: or you see people start to purchase other investments passive income things like that and so that's kind of the difference between and and maybe maybe i'm mistaken about this but I, I see sort of three different behaviors large categories like like big lumps of people there's folks that sort of spend whatever they make and it's never enough you know like like because income is just not high enough to make uh, escape velocity if you will right and this is the it's hard to make minimum wage, even with two working people, and you're not going to reach escape velocity. It's really not a great living wage, even no. when you do economies of scale. It's like, all right, I got seven roommates, and we can kind of make it work. Though that's sort of what it takes. Uh, so you need to have a skill set that's more valuable, uh, or you need to have at least enough uh, loyalty credit built up where you're working that somebody wants to keep you around because you're valuable to retain.
1: So there's two parts of budgeting, um, and, and the fact that I'm going not going through, but well, I am because I believe in the principles, but that I'm teaching Financial Peace University right now, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're we're going into week three. We talk about budgeting and there's two things you can do with your budget, right? And so when you look at your money that you have and you look at your expenses, one is you can lower your expenses, right? Live below your means. And I think you have said that until you're blue in the face on this show and we'll continue to say it as long as we're on the air. It's just
0: a core principle. Just spend
1: less than you make. The other one is make more. And And then option C, which is the best one, Spend less and make more.
0: Right. Right. And those so, are the levers you get to pull. <laughs> right. right. So
1: figure out how to how to ratchet in your budget, how to how to, you know, gear in your expenses a little bit and uh, try to figure out how to save some money every month. But also, are there ways for you to improve your income? Is there an additional class you yeah. can take or certification you can do or something where you can kind of climb that corporate ladder a little bit more and earn yeah, extra you, income you, or even yeah, a part time
0: job? This is that whole discussion. Be more valuable. Okay, that sounds obnoxious. Uh, maybe a little judgmental, but it's not.
1: It's it's you know, really not. Be
0: more valuable. To an employer, you are selling your skill set. If your skill set is really easy to replace, you're not particularly valuable, which is why flipping burgers shouldn't, be a living wage job, and why minimum wage was never designed to be living, living wage, wage. Yeah, those right? are really two it's separate It's a dangerous games. thing when you're going like, well, anybody that can flip a burger should be able to make living wage. I go, well, careful here, because if you're capable of flipping a burger, so is a robot, right? Oh, which means point. you're replaceable. So you need to- Which, you know, by and, the and way, look,
1: McDonald's has proven.
0: Yeah, so let's pretend for a moment that it's not robots. Mm-hmm. Let's replace it with trained monkey. Right. Like really? I can get a trained monkey to do this and I can feed them bananas. OK, <laughs> then if I can do that, I don't need to pay you minimum wage because bananas are cheaper. True. Right. So, you know, we got to put aside the fact that Pete is going to have a fit over this. Right. But right. the idea. But that, this is for example. And, and you know what? We will give the monkeys breaks and everything just like they're supposed to get. They just don't want money. They want bananas. So there you go. Uh, it doesn't change the value of the job. But your skill set is what people hire. I mean, if I go to work right now with all of my skills and capability in the financial industry, but I'm flipping burgers, I am—I have no additional value as a burger flipper. So I need to do things that are more valuable, all right? things that other people can't do. So you need scarcity or leverage. Those are the things you need. And so scarcity means, hey, the more skills I have, the more in demand it becomes because I'm a scarcer commodity. Other people don't have the same skills, which makes me more valuable, which means I get paid more. Right. Or you do something that people don't want to do, right? That's the—it's still a form of scarcity, right? Dirty jobs. Mike Rowe was all over this one night. Like,
1: oh, he! Who is... wants
0: to go? Who wants to be the guy in a scuba suit? It, you know, underneath the streets, scouring through sewers to figure out a, a problem. Like, yeah. that's a gross job.
1: But that guy probably gets paid like $200 an hour to go do yeah, it because nobody wants it. Yeah, paid
0: really well because nobody wants to he do it. He actually
1: started a foundation to help support people who want to go in the trades because there's such a lack of people right. in the trades right now coming into the
0: trades. Yeah, and that's really a different – that's a, a slightly sh- – Different discussion. You know, I wasn't planning to go there today. No, but Uh, and and
1: another thing on your on when you're talking about scarcity, some of it's complacency, right? You get a job. It's something that's supposed to be a starter job to fill a void at the moment. And six years later, you realize you're still there. Right. You haven't upgraded anything. Right. Like maybe you've acquired new skills, but you just got comfortable doing it. And people say,
0: "Oh, the employer should pay more." And you go, "Well, here's the thing." You came in six years ago with a skill set and you haven't advanced and I can still go out to the marketplace and replace your skill set with anybody else, then you haven't changed your value. You've demonstrated loyalty and maybe there is value to your employer. Maybe the fact that you're really consistent, you show up on time every time, they're like, I'm willing to give you a raise because I can count on you and somebody else is an unknown quantity. So I'd like to retain you because of your predictability, right. there's value to me. So that, you know, you can build value, but it still doesn't change the job a whole lot. It's, it's you know, your behavior is getting compensated and so forth. But that's, that's the issue is, you know, and people tend to think about it as an employee, right? Oh, I am a victim of being the employee when you really need to look at this and go, well, what is your employer buying from you? Yeah, he's buying your time. He's buying your skills. Yeah. So if. If that's what the employer is buying from you, then
1: what are you offering and at what price? (laughs) Right. And when is it time to upgrade? Right. Like it's one of the things that I've always found fascinating is when people say, oh, I want a new job. So I quit mine. What are you going to do in the meantime until you find another one? Like, why did you quit your job that was working for you and supplying a wage?
0: Yeah, to so we're, we're, we're off insane. in the weeds on this one. We, I are. Wanna we bring, have I wanna other bring stuff planned on, for the show I want to bring it home with a couple of concepts. And there's three kinds of people that I was saying generically we fall into this category of the person that just sort of takes the job and they sit there. and Or they don't have enough money, and so they always struggle with the budget. Then you have the person that uh, just figures out how to earn a whole lot of money, but they spend it all. Right. And then you have another person that may either figure out how to earn a lot, or they figure out how to spend less than they earn. Right. And if they do that, then they can save and they can invest and they can really build wealth. And so what I want to talk about on the show today is the concept of how do you get past go and collect your hundred dollars? Oh, how, monopoly. Do we, how do we go from collecting a paycheck every month?
1: To a play check.
0: To a play check.
1: I like that idea. All right. Play check.
0: But we gotta grab a break first. And when we come back, strategies to get you out of the rat race. Stick around, we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shack. You got true wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. No, go. Rut Row. Yeah, Rut go. <laughs> Row.
1: All right, so how do All you get out of the rat
0: race? All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh True Wealth Show here. David Littlejohn, your host, and my uh what
1: you, I'm still your sidekick. It's I Katie. love calling
0: you sidekick, <laughs> But My co hostess. With the mostest, Miss Katie Shuck.
1: You know, the great thing is I I just don't get offended by titles, like you well, know. We I'm, could I'm,
0: give you an offensive title. I mean, that would. That, I don't know. I've
1: had a lot of really funny ones. Like every every title you've given me so far has been great. Like I just laugh at it. So it's right. I mean, I know there's offensive ones out there, but yeah. I'm okay with sidekick, even psychic sidekick. That was uh, kind of uh, funny too.
0: Karate Sensei. Let's go with that <laughs> for the day. So. I've you called know. you a
1: financial ninja.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, and 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 occasionally I've accidentally earned it. <laughs> right like did he just disappear like uh, <laughs> so
1: pretty sure you've karate chopped some plans in half though
0: it happens so that's so, not gonna work that way so we're how- talking about yeah how do you get out of the rat race and i define this as so you know i've asked people this before and i said so you know what do you want to be when you grow up or when you want to stop working
1: i like the when you want to stop working
0: yeah but you know what they answer i don't want to stop working
1: it depends on what they're doing for work right I mean, sometimes some people, it's a pain point but other people were actually really just yeah, enjoy not, what they do.
0: or people go like I don't know I think I'd go crazy if I stopped right uh, because that's how they're wired and so that's instead me. I I could I could sum this up in a in a word that I think a lot of people will quickly latch on to or a term not a word two words financial freedom okay Okay.
1: That sounds very ambiguous to me. Sure though. it
0: does, but I'm gonna define it, it'll be less ambiguous. Okay, good. Go for it. Financial freedom is working because you want to, not because you have to. It means that you have And working how much you want enough <laughs> money that this is the pa- this is what it means you have pound sand money.
1: I love Kay. that term.
0: Yeah, this is this is fun. Now, remember, you can come up with a lot of different acronyms for this one, by the way. But pound sound, we can say on the radio. Right. So this is when some, you know, the boss comes to you and says, "I need you to do this thing," and you go, "You can pound sand. I'm out of here."
1: Right. Okay. And you mean it.
0: And you could be. And
1: you mean it. <laughs> right.
0: Like I don't have to be here. This boss. isn't. I
1: got mad and I have to grovel for my job back tomorrow. This is a like. Yeah. This spionara, is like sucker. peace
0: out. <laughs> and so, the 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 point here is when you've got sufficient income either in the form of a a big nest egg or a bunch of passive income because you've purchased other assets that are paying you. It could be other business income. It could be rental properties. It could be dividend income from stocks or other instruments. But you've developed enough passive income that you're capable of living entirely on that. And so you don't have to work. You Work because you want you to. You choose to work. Right, It's a cool spot to be emotionally because there's a that's the freedom concept. You now, know what's
1: fun to see when people reach that state too is the jobs that they choose. Because right. they're usually not careers. They're jobs, right? Whether it's to help out in a church or to just go off on this tangent that you're like, yeah. why are All like, of how?
0: a sudden you want to join the ski patrol or something random because you can't.
1: Because you can't. And you have the time to do it. You know, it's like, I'm a volunteer librarian. And it's like, where did that come from? But it's neat to see when people can just have a job that they love and, you know, volunteer or get paid either way Mm -hmm. for something that they love to do.
0: So that that's really I mean, it's it's that simple, folks. Now, I'm going to point something out. Funny thing. Financial freedom, probably a myth.
1: Interesting, why do you say that?
0: Well, I say it because if we if we are to espouse to the values here. Okay. Right. So the reason it's a myth, you could really do it, but that we're never secure in anything, right? True. I mean, there, there's no such thing as zero risk. Right. It's important to understand that in life, that everything we do has a risk trade off.
1: Yeah. Okay. I- Walking on our snowed-over sidewalks this morning.
0: <laughs> that's there was an assumed risk. Now you can control the risk to Somewhat. a degree, <laughs> but you can't eliminate it. Right, right, and that's the thing. Like uh, yeah. getting in your car, there's a risk to it. It's getting in the bathtub, there's a risk. There's always a risk somewhere. So financial freedom is a bit of an illusion in that, even all of the passive investments you have. I mean, you may have had a great r- rental real estate portfolio.
1: It catches fire. In
0: Paradise, California. Oh. So so I don't want you to think...
1: Anything is risk-free. ...that there's
0: something that is risk-free, but this is still something worthy of aspiring to. It's also why we diversify.
1: Right. Now, if you had a rental property in Paradise, but also had one in Montana, in Ohio, and New York, which is a pain in the butt to manage, by the way, in different states, but...
0: Yeah, you might need a trust.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah. And then an attorney on speed dial. But that being said... Right. If a fire happened in Paradise, as it did, it wouldn't happen usually in all of those
0: various states all at the same time. Of course, you know, one of the things we could do with risk, we could mitigate it or transfer it. We could transfer it. We could manage it. But I think if we're going to talk about transferring it, boy, this is really a lame segue, by the way. It's because it's, it's so <laughs> cheesy about, like, oh, and then you could do this. Uh, so <laughs> when Katie and I talked about so there's this simple pathway that, that, by and large, everybody takes to reach what we're still going to call is financial freedom. Okay. okay? I, mean, I, I just don't want you to get this idea that it's perfect. Remember, the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say, give us this day our storehouse full of grain.
1: Or our weekly bread.
0: Right. It or doesn't say that. Or our monthly So, like, daily we're supposed to be paying attention to these sorts of things. But the idea is that good stewardship still involves storehouses. It does. Okay? Now, you don't have to have more storehouses than you need, but having a storehouse to get where you need to be is part of the equation. So how do you get there? Well, the first thing is you do need to mitigate risks, step one. Okay. People do this out of order. It's right? true. And, and we're do. probably guilty of this because this is the true wealth program. What do we talk about investing all the time? But nobody wants to talk about risk mitigation.
1: And how do you mitigate risk, David?
0: Well, so it's an enchanting incantations and oh, the throw goodness. the bones.
1: Are you listening to this? I hope not at this moment. How, how just plug you your think, ears for three how do you seconds. I think
0: we do it, Katie. Really?
1: I know how we do it. Yeah. It's I just the was- I word. Ah, uh, I know. It's all about me. No, yes. that's not Yeah, the there's I no
0: I in team, but there is a me. <laughs> uh, so...
1: It's insurance.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, ultimately, what you do is there, when it comes to risk, there are a few things that you can do, right? You, I always say you can ignore it, you can manage it, you can transfer it. And when you manage risk, you assume it yourself. You take on the risk yourself. And there are plenty of times that that makes sense, okay? Right. Uh, and think about any time you've ever had something break and you had to go fix it or replace it yourself. True. Okay, you took on the risk personally. Right. Transferring the risk is what happens when the risk is too big for you to afford to handle it yourself. Okay. Okay. So why do we get homeowners insurance?
1: To transfer the risk. Because yeah, because
0: if your house burns down, it's really expensive.
1: And if you are not a licensed contractor, it's really hard to build your own house again.
0: <laughs> well, and even if you are,
1: it's still really hard. You to have to spend the money
0: to build a new house. Right. You had an asset, and it's gone. Right. So. Why is insurance, you know, why can you get a house that's $300,000 and you can pay less than $1,000 a year for insurance on it?
1: Because they're looking at everybody paying insurance on a $300,000 house and how many have burned down in the last so many years.
0: Because the probability is pretty low that you're going to burn your house down. Right. You know, there are probably lots of people out there that can go 20, 30, forever years and never make a claim on their homeowner's policy.
1: Right. And that's also why you get a discount Usually if you bundle insurances, because the chances of like your house getting robbed and burning down and your car getting stolen all in the same time. Pretty low. Doesn't usually happen. Right.
0: And so you're absolutely correct. I mean, this is an incentive by insurance companies to get you to pay more premium across multiple lines. Because here's a funny thing. You know what folks didn't maybe realize about insurance? If you've paid attention, uh, did you notice an increase in your auto premiums?
1: We always shop around and try to find a good one. Okay, so, so
0: uh, we—I have a teenager,
1: of course. I noticed. Yeah. So what, <laughs> what you premiums. will
0: notice is if you pay attention to the type of insurance carriers out there, some insurance carriers have multiple lines of insurance. Okay. Right. So they they do uh, home, home, auto, auto pro, you know, property, casualty, and the, the whole spread there. Those f- folks, by and large, if they had a lot of exposure to. California and particularly the Paradise Fires. They very expensive. the cost. Then you saw an increase in premiums across the board for all insurance lines. Right. Because they're commingled co- company costs and so their actuarial assumptions are across the board. Uh, and so and also by region. Right. So they'll take regions that maybe didn't have as high a claim experience but they'll still increase the premium because they got to pay for the other region that got hammered.
1: Right. Money so, needs to come from somewhere.
0: So that's the deal. But the trick is you, you really are pooling risks across lots and lots of people because your overall risk is pretty small. Right. So that's why you buy insurance. but it's And why is it the first step, right, other than an emergency fund?
1: Why is it the first step? Yeah. Because if something – so I think of it more on an income level like life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. And more – I mean, we're talking about property and stuff like that, but um, life insurance – When i first took financial peace university life insurance was really important to me because it made sense right if something happens to me or to my husband for example um heaven forbid then how am i going to replace his income especially if i'm depending on it every month as part of my budget right and all of a sudden you go from a two-income house to a one-income house becomes really difficult yeah and there's only so much i can do at that point to try to increase my income but trying to grieve and trying to make up all that income is crazy so having the life insurance is actually cheaper and more affordable than it is to carry all that stress and burden well, the whole entire time too. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> here's what you know there's 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 actually just this math and logic behind all of it. Uh we talked about the Dave Ramsey steps before, we have. the baby steps, but right. let me just outline them for everybody real quickly and then there's just this super logical progression that if we all followed it it would work, right? Uh, and then I can even show you how you can break it and still be okay. Okay. All right. So step one is thousand dollars.
1: It's the emergency fund, right? right? Like, yeah, oh, I need new tires on my car fund. or my motor
0: blew up. Right. Okay. And and keep in mind, you know who Dave Ramsey's talking to most of the time?
1: People that are not yeah, financially it, savvy.
0: Look, well, no, people that got themselves in debt trouble.
1: Hence, not financially savvy. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know that
0: that's what that means necessarily. I think some people were just, uh, they put the cart before the horse. And okay. so they, they get it. They just Fair ignored enough. it. Okay. Okay. And so folks that have put themselves in a debt position, that's problematic. Right. And so Dave Ramsey is looking at this saying, I got to do a couple of things here. First, I got to get you on life support. Next, I got to get you bought into the program so you'll do it. Right. Okay, and then after that, we need to talk about how we're going to fill all the gaps up so that you don't fall back in the hole. And then we could talk about how you can move on to financial success. Right. Okay. So, by show of hands out there, how many people would like to understand why the program works?
1: Yeah, really. I think just about everybody raised their hand. Awesome. (laughs) You should have. So here's what we're going to do.
0: (laughs) You want to know why it works and how we're going to get you out of the rat race? We'll grab the next break when we come back. I'm going to break it down. We're going to do it fast. Ooh. So, like, get ready to take some notes. We're going to cruise. Baby steps right. on speed. We will be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Schuck. You got True Well on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Hey, gang, we are back. Welcome to the True Well show. Your favorite Tuesday afternoon you've had all day.
1: <laughs> oh, I, you know, I was waiting for you to say that. You didn't say it in the intro.
0: Well, it's because the intro got so fouled up.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> it you just like, had to wait for We're your time.
0: not talking health.
1: What the heck? <laughs> Financial health? Hello.
0: I know. That happens on Monday. This is Tuesday, where the best you could expect was a two-hour delay for snow this morning.
1: I know, and I didn't get one. And everybody else in the office did. Yes. So disappointed. And I was yes. the one rooting for
0: we it. We had a two-hour <laughs> delay. It translated to I was 20 minutes later to the office than typical. Right. Uh, it wasn't bad. So... Anyhow, okay. Look, baby uh,
1: steps on speed, rapid fire.
0: Yeah. So here's here here's what we're gonna do for this segment. Uh, we're talking about how you get out of the rat race and and transition from collecting a paycheck to a play check to a play check. All right. So and we're gonna talk about why Dave Ramsey beats the drum that he does today. He's got seven baby steps. It goes like this: you save a thousand bucks, then you pay off all your debts from the smallest to the biggest, then non-mortgage debt. Non-mortgage debt, okay, okay. and then you, you three to six months in emergency savings, then of income, of your of your income. Well, well it's of your needs, it's the expenses, expenses for it's three to really six income. months. Okay, okay, and then step four. I'm just going to Katie's a step four.
1: Step four. Step four is save 15 percent for retirement.
0: Okay. Step five
1: is save for college if your kids are if you have kids that are going to college. Okay. Step six. Pay off your house. Step seven. Build wealth and give. Build
0: wealth and give, which is like the super ambiguous, vague one. And we usually come in with people somewhere about step four. Right. All right. So, why does it work this way? And why can it work for you? And more importantly, where are the areas of is there wiggle room? Okay. First, remember if you, and, and the reason I bring this up is because I believe we have smart listeners. I do, too. Right? Uh, so but first of all, this is talk radio. Second of all, well, it is AM talk radio. So <laughs> you gotta want most it. of the folks, yes, most <laughs> of the folks here, like, you're committed. You're yeah, serious. You're not accidentally tuning okay. into this station. And so those of you that have picked up this podcast, then you also are at least interested remotely in how to figure this stuff out. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt right now that you're serious. All right. So here's what happens. Dave Ramsey is talking to folks that ha- are, have basically had knucklehead moves. They spent more than they had, they got into all kinds of trouble with debt. And the first thing you need to know about debt is it's depressing. It is. Okay, it gets to a point where I have no discretionary anything, life stinks. Right. So we have got to develop a safety mechanism to get you out of that cycle. So the first one is we need to get you some victories quick. Right. Like you need some wins or you're gonna quit. Nobody wants to play for a losing team forever.
1: Yeah. By the way, you didn't go into debt logically, you did it emotionally.
0: Right. So here's what here's what you do. You save a thousand bucks in cash somewhere that you can access in case something stupid happens because something stupid will happen to derail you. Right. That's like the law of of nature. It's that, not if, it's when. Yeah, it, and it and it happens because you're trying now, right? It's like uh, all of a sudden when you want to go on a diet and you're doing really good with all your food and all your buddies are like, we need to go out partying. And you're like, it's going to wreck everything. Okay? <laughs> like there will be something that conspires to take you off the trail. Right. So you get get 1000 bucks because that is your bail-yourself-out money. Right. Like $1, That's $1, your parachute. It is doable, but, you know, hey, the, the clutch went out in the car. I can fix it, and I can refill that 1000 bucks. And you're not spending $1,000 right.
1: on a credit card and right. going further into debt.
0: Then you go into the debt snowball next, and the concept there is you pay off the smallest loans first, not the lo- the ones with the highest interest, which is actually mathematically the smartest way to do it. But guess what? If your biggest debt is also your highest interest rate, you'll quit. Because it's too hard, you can't see the needle move. Yep. So what you'll do is you need to get victories. So you pick the smallest one and you pay it off while making minimum payments everywhere else.
1: So Dave Ramsey actually said the only difference between paying off the highest interest rate and paying off the lowest debt is about a month's worth of payments.
0: And it really depends on your circumstance. It's, But that's the point is that it's more important psychologically to get victories. And it's like if you go it's on better a diet. get it done. Yeah, if you go on a diet and you don't see any changes after a few weeks, you give up. Right. Right. So that's the thing is you need to see progress. So you start with something small and you start hammering them out. And when you pay off the first one, you get a victory. And then you take what you're paying on the first one and you roll it into the next one and you just keep going. You make the same payments every month. But now you're starting to take bites out of the thing and it goes away.
1: And faster, faster and faster.
0: Okay, now here's where most people mess it up. Where do they mess it up? They mess it up between steps three and four. Okay. Okay. so why three to six months of income?
1: Because if you were to get laid off or need to transition jobs, that's how much you might need to tie yourself over until another source of income comes in. False. Ooh.
0: Why? False because it's not actually what's designed. If you go into Dave Ramsey's classes right now, there is a segment where he talks specifically about insurance. And one of the things he talks about is you should have life insurance, right? Right. It should be to replace your income that right. other people are counting on. Right. Okay? How much life insurance? Well, that depends on what they need. Okay? And he, he he simplifies it and says, yeah, get 10 times your earnings because term is cheap. And he's right. You could do that and by and large you're going to make it work. Right. Maybe, it's, maybe you only need eight. Maybe you need 11. But 10 is a pretty good ballpark statement. And for most people, close enough for what we're talking right. about here. Okay. So... Why three to six months? Because if you are doing things properly, Dave also says you should have disability income insurance. It's true. And that's for long-term disability. The short-term disability, he will contend, is not cost-effective. Well, what does three to six months of income do for you? That covers the gap between when you are disabled and when your disability policy turns on.
1: Oh, I like my answer too, but you're right.
0: Right. That's really what it's doing mathematically is bridging the gap until your risk mitigation can pick up the pieces for you.
1: And the longer you can put off that risk a little bit, the cheaper the disability policy usually is, too. Like if it doesn't have to kick in. Right. If you go a year
0: instead, like a year before disability starts paying out, lower premiums than if you've got a 90 day wait. Right. It's it's no different than uh, the deductible and insurance. The higher the deductible, the lower the premiums okay right. for your health insurance for for anything right so because you're taking on more risk correct okay so if you've got this is now you're not wrong Katie that you don't what if you just lose your job and you need to you know bridge the gap to the next one well, that's exactly yeah. why you have savings and right. emergency reserves. Right. But but nonetheless, the biggest one it's is the disability income. It will carry you to that point at which point something else will pick up the pieces for True. you. True. And the assumption is that if you can't find a job in three months, you're not trying hard enough. Now,
1: David, why is insurance not a baby step?
0: Insurance isn't a baby step because it's not a step; it's a requirement
1: there you go so people listening here first if you've never done Dave Ramsey's baby steps insurance is not a step because it's not like oh when I get my debts paid off then I'll get insurance it's like yeah. no you should have
0: insurance now yeah you would never buy a house or a car and not put insurance on it right like the car it's illegal not to and if you have a mortgage you have a homeowner's insurance right right you're
1: insuring your interest but, in things but but- really
0: even if you're a renter you should have insurance because you could have personal liability or anything else right. that goes wrong well right? if
1: something happens to your stuff inside You're not covered by the landlord,
0: right? So because they don't have an insurable interest. That's why. So and we 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 skip over this all the time, but folks, insurance is the least sexy, least fun thing you can talk about in your financial planning arena.
1: And it's hard because you
0: pay for it, and you don't really get to, you don't get to reap the rewards unless if something tragic happens. Yeah, it's terrible because you buy it not wanting to use it. Right. It's it's and 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 then when you don't use it, you're like, well, that's money I wasted. Like in hindsight, but you can't predict the future. Now, if it's you can true. predict the future and you know it's gonna, not going to happen, then first of all, share.
1: And we, and by <laughs> the way, we have seen a few insurance policies pay out, tragically. But they have oh, paid out.
0: I, you know, I'm a huge proponent of having your your house in order because I have personally been through scenarios where it was not optimized. Right. Okay. And we have helped other people, and then my own family's been through tragedy. And so it's true. there is... There's no fun in this, right? But this is one of these where uh, you you do this because you want who's left behind to make decisions because they get to, not because they have to. Right.
1: By the way, this is like eating your green vegetables, right? Yeah. Some of you love them. Take your fiber, right? Take (laughs) yeah. Not everybody loves broccoli, but it's still good to eat, right? Like insurance is kind of that way. You don't have to love it more water, but you need it. Exactly. Now, when would you not need insurance?
0: When you can self-insure. Oh, there you go. Okay. And so self it's insurance not a means have to. Yeah. The whole point of developing a retirement nest egg is because you want to stop having to work. If you can afford it, you don't need insurance anymore. There you go. Right, you can actually buy your way out of a need for insurance. Now, sometimes now,
1: people carry insurance just because they want it.
0: Right. And and it could be because of liability. Cuz right. this is the flip side. Look, if you're very successful at growing assets, you're also going to be targeted by people that want it because we have a court system that oftentimes treats life like a jackpot. Uh, so, oh, yeah. that person got injured and somebody slipped on your lawn and they try to sue you and some insurance, you know, and some judge is like well, yeah, you probably should have had a fence to keep them off your lawn. Hey,
1: David, did you know coffee's hot?
0: Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> talk on you.
1: All right. Anyways, So
0: <laughs> moving on. Here's the deal. Moving forward. I, I use that phrase a lot, don't I? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, that is so, kind of one of your things. Let me yeah. tell you the deal. Uh, <laughs> well, as, it, hasn't,
1: it hasn't itched on me yet, so you're okay. <laughs> all right.
0: As we talk about this, once you've got your insurance in place, now you go about how much do I need to start saving? Okay? Now step four, 15% is pretty straightforward. The problem is if you're over the age of 30 and you haven't started, it's actually a higher number. Probably not going to do it. You right. may be closer to 20. Right. And the idea here is that you want to get a nest egg and passive income sources that are capable of reproducing about 80% of your current standard of living now
1: why 80 percent
0: because i'm assuming you're going to pay off your debts and you won't have them anymore so without a mortgage or any of that other car payment debt load to carry then you shouldn't have to have as much income
1: do you know the average car payment's up to almost 600 now
0: that seems like a comedy of errors right there
1: because last time I checked, it was around four fifty, but it's almost up to six hundred dollars a month. In now. my
0: mind, car. So this I'm for officially, seven to eight years. I'm officially dating myself now. This is like I would say, this is when great grandma offers you a quarter to give her a foot rub or something, and you're, and like,
1: you're like, really?
0: Hey. <laughs> so I'm out of touch <laughs> when I'm friends? like, I don't like vehicle payments that exceed three hundred dollars a month, and and now and there's car salesmen that are like, guffaw. like like no way, like that can't happen, and I'm going. Earth. It just it just kind of irks me that that's what people believe life should cost. Uh, but I also have kind of a chip on my shoulder that my rule of thumb is that a value meal at a restaurant should not cost more than half of one hour's minimum wage. Oh. So, you know, if minimum wage is, you know, nine dollars in the state of Oregon or whatever it is now, call it you know, even 12 and a value meal was seven. I'm like, OK, we've exceeded the threshold. We're now officially into pain land for any working person that needs to like grab a quick lunch. True. So, hence what, the
1: dollar menu that's really hard to keep things on these days. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's going to be the
1: $2 menu soon. You watch.
0: Yeah. I remember when it was like 49 59 and $0.69 cents at Taco Bell. See, I'm old now. When did this happen? <laughs> Overnight, David, overnight. Overnight.
1: All right, so saving. So 15% of your income sounds like a high number.
0: Yeah, but if you're doing it pre tax, then that's going to help. So if you've got a retirement plan through work, that's going to help. If you're getting a match from your employer, that's going to help. Yeah. Yay, free so, money. So uh, those are all elements that contribute to it. But yeah, it really is. You have to save something. And if you're going to count on Social Security, I'm going to tell you that is bad news on so many levels.
1: Well, A, they keep moving the marker. Yeah, they B, keep changing
0: actuarial assumptions, and yeah. it's just not enough money.
1: There's not enough working people to yeah, support it. Yeah, and it's
0: it. just not enough money to get it done. So you need to take some personal responsibility and get this stuff done. And for all of our listeners are doing this, right? Right. So you just need to feel people. totally justified in harping on the people that aren't and saying, "Get your act together, folks! Everybody's talking about it. This is not rocket science, okay? Just save something for a change. You do not have to spend more than you make. And for heaven's sake, I don't care how big your lift kit is on your truck if you can't afford it.
1: Oh, good point.
0: Okay. Yeah, good I mean, like point. you're just. You're not impressing me when I can see that you are not making as much as you're spending.
1: If your car payment is higher than your mortgage, you need to evaluate your spending.
0: Indeed, and if that impresses you, as you know, if you're if this is like your dating mechanism is to try to you know catch somebody that way, wrong bait. <laughs> okay, Amen. really, because the because that relationship is going to be built on a whole bunch of falsehoods, and it's going to be a bunch of problem later. Right. You know, I don't, let me tell you a little secret to relationships. At some point there will be problems, but they're a lot easier when there are fewer financial problems. True. That is like the number one driver of divorce in the universe is financial problems. Yep. Very much so. Anyway, so look, we got to take our last break. Let's grab it. When we come back, I want to give you a quick recipe for... How much, where, when, and, and how you're going to figure it out. Okay? I like it. Let's do it. All right. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. We've got True Well on News Radio 1240, KQEA. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the home stretch of the True Well show. Dave Littlejohn here with me in studio.
1: As always, Katie Shook.
0: All right. Almost always. Yeah. Close enough to always that we can use the term, you know, loosely because a lot of <laughs> hyperbole on the radio and so forth. <laughs>
1: So I wouldn't know what to do on a Tuesday afternoon
0: anyway. You know, we're doing some rough math here, trying to help people figure out. Uh, I have a little trick that I like to tell people. I call this the napkin plan for how to how much to retire. Do I like it. Why uh, the napkin plan? The napkin plan because it's simple. It should be able to be something you can draw on the back of a napkin to understand quickly. Awesome. Uh, now, do we actually use this for our clients? No. I mean, meaning that, yes, we talk about it all the time so they understand it, but the math behind it is more sophisticated. But these are some financial shortcuts that you can take really easily.
1: Also known as financial
0: hacks. Hacks, right? (laughs) So um, not hack like the, oh, you're terrible at it, Or like in the NBA, like some of you fouls a lot. Uh, Like
1: a cheat. Like an easy, quick way to
0: get there. Yeah, so these are just cheat codes, if you will. Love it. So when you think about how much you need to earn. First of all, you know what I see a lot? People forget about uh, income sources they're going to have. So they forget about, oh, I have this rental property. Or, oh, I'm going to have some Social Security or whatever. Uh, But if you figure out, here's how much I need per month. Okay. And you say, so I need this much total. And then I need to... You know, think about taxes, so I better add those in. But then I'm going to take out all of my guaranteed income sources. So I'll deduct social security or pensions. Whatever number is left per month, if you multiply that by 300, then that's going to give you an amount that you should have as a nest egg. By so if I need yeah, so so let's say I need two thousand dollars a month, right? So okay, oh, because so we're
1: talking I, monthly, right? So so, okay.
0: so two thousand dollars a month over uh, and you multiply that one by 300, right? That's six hundred thousand dollars and you're going to need to have if you can earn four percent then you can just take the interest off of six hundred thousand dollars and that will pay you two thousand dollars now why four percent that's what the math works out to four percent of six hundred thousand is going to be twenty four thousand a month right or twenty four thousand a year or two thousand a month so that's the the trick and and then if you look at that it's it's roughly 25 times your annual okay which is also you know 300 divided by 12. so there you go oh there you go uh and and why? Well, because it's just math. Okay, so those are those simple things that you could do. And then we look at all right. Well, if that's the case, how much do I need to save in order to get to that number? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're looking at 15% of your income and you're looking at some uh, assumed growth, you actually do a time value calculation. But, but you know, that's that's what we have to help people figure out. So you need to. You, there's all kinds of online calculators. Uh, you go to our webpage. Right. Go to littlejohnfs.com. Right and you can go under the uh
1: i'm pulling uh, it up right now yeah, so i want to make sure I, it's clear. i believe
0: it's uh the educate tab and then there's a there's a thing that says am i on track and next to it there's a bunch of calculators so you click on the calculator and it'll bring it up and you can go you can go actually put in how much do i need to save for retirement there's a calculator for it i love it so How much do I need to save and for how long? And then you talk about how much of a rate of return can I get? Now, this is where I probably have the most issue that I'll take with Dave Ramsey because he simply uses these categories that don't help investors. He says, get growth, growth and income, aggressive growth and international. That's like saying, go get a blue car. Yeah, those are really vague categories. They're not useful. Uh, And I don't have enough time to educate you on how to choose categories, but what I can tell you is, if you're working with anybody, they're going to treat this a lot like a risk category. Now, risk needs to be two things: what you need and what's appropriate. Right. Now, let me give you an example. You're at the top of the mountain and you got to get down the hill. Kay. Okay. You, it's an emergency. You got to get down the hill as fast as possible. You're going to take whatever route you can. So I don't care if it's a black diamond run or a green spot run. You're just going to go, and you're going to hope for the best. This is exactly where you don't want to be as an investor. It's called investing for a targeted rate of return that's outside of your safe zone.
1: Yeah, like if you're a beginner like, and used to like the bunny hill, you should not yeah, be uh, on the black diamond I need slopes to make 20% a year.
0: It's not possible, so I have to take as much risk as possible and hope it works out. Yeah, no. Okay, versus, you know what? Here's what I really need is I'm comfortable with uh, blue diamond runs. Okay, then that's what you stick to, right? Don't get outside your comfort zone. You can go less than that, but you don't want to go more. Right. And as long as that's going to be enough of a return over the times that you've scheduled to produce the results you need, you're kind of there. And that's the trick. Now, how do you achieve it? You mix and match different investment categories. That's why you see like growth and aggressive growth and growth and income. These are different strategies. So growth is companies that are reinvesting in themselves and they're not paying dividends, they're trying to uh, grow the company bigger. Amazon wants to get bigger, right? Right. Uh, Growth and income, are that's like Apple, still wants to get bigger, but it's paying a dividend at the same time. Target? Um, Yeah, companies that are paying dividends but still reinvesting in additional growth. Yeah, then you get, well, aggressive growth. These are companies that oftentimes are smaller and more speculative. International companies, they're outside the United States. You can tell, though, that it doesn't give us much to work with. There's all kinds of different industries. There's all kinds of different sectors of the market. There are different risk profiles within those sectors. There's fixed income versus equity versus alternative things like real estate that kind of don't fit into either bucket.
1: And if your eyes have started rolling back in your head, yes, that is why. Because is there's why. so many different options.
0: There's a huge yeah,
1: matrix of options. Infinite
0: number of possibilities. And they all have different jobs. So it's not as easy as just saying, go buy a mutual fund and hold it for 20 years. Okay, that is advice designed to not be able to come back and get you. Yeah, right. That's like so saying, Let me give you something so vague it doesn't help, right? Go to the grocery store and buy food. Exactly. Okay, buy food. Okay, good. Glad we had this talk.
1: Yeah, so if, I know there's food you, there, yeah. but what about if I needed batteries? Yeah,
0: <laughs> so if you need more help... So we're up against the clock today, but I'll just leave you with this idea. Seek help from somebody. And if you don't have a somebody... Give our office a call, and we will at least get you on the right path. How do they reach us?
1: 541-375-0898.
0: All right. You heard it here first, but you won't hear it here last, folks. Thanks for joining us as always. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And again, Littlejohn Financial Services at 541-375-0898. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you same time next week. Take care, everybody.